Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Baruch Hashem, we're picking up now with our sixth installment of our weekly Daf review. This last seven blot from Daf Chavav 26 through Daf Lamid Beis 32. We're going to have 19 sections in this seven blot span. And we begin, Chavav Muralef, towards the top of the page. The Gemara talks about now the acquisition of properties, land and movables, sources and applications. The Mishnah tells us you can acquire land through Kesef, Shtar, and Chazaka. Movables, Metablin, can be acquired with Meshicha. The Mishnah continues and says you can acquire movables Agav land, which means by doing a kinyan on the land, you can acquire the movables as well. And the third point the Mishnah tells us is you can swear about land based on a shvuah that needs to be made for movables, even though you can't make a shvuah on land directly, Gilgal shvuah will allow you to swear on the land if you're mechoyev on a shvuah on the movables, which we'll discuss later as well. Says the Gemara, what is the source that you can purchase land with kasef? As Pasuk says, sadas ba kasef yiknu. Rav explains, in places that they only transact after the shtar was given because the buyers are makbed, they want to have the shtar, you also would need the shtar, in order for the transaction to go through. Money wouldn't be enough. And Rav says you just follow the general stipulations if you want it done through Kesef or through Shtar. Now, regarding the second Kenyan of our mission, Shtar, how do we know that that's effective for land? Because it says, Shmuel says, however, that it's limited to gifting. But regarding sales, the seller is makbid to receive money for the transaction. In order for it to be effective, the Shtar alone would not be an effective transaction regarding chazaka, which is the display of ownership, making a hole, putting a new lock, etc. How do we know that that works for Kinyan on the Karka? Because it says, Vishavu ba'arechem ashar tafastem, living in the land or sitting in the land shows your ownership, or v'yarishtem oysav v'yishavtem ba, similar idea. How do you conquer it and own it? By v'yishavtem ba, by sitting it and showing ownership. Now the Mishnah had told us movables are acquired with Meshicha, that's based on the Pasuk, or Kanomi Yara Misecha, something that is transacted from hand to hand. Meshicha acquires movables. And the Gemara just says, according to Rabbi Yochanan, although Midairaisa, you can acquire movables with Kesef, that's his famous Shita, but rabbinically Meshicha is also required, which is that the Mishnah says, to avoid the issue of Nisrifu Chitecha Ba'aliyah, which is that if somebody would be able to sell just via monies, but he still has the movables by him, if such a thing would happen that there's a disaster like a fire, he wouldn't care to save the movables that he had already sold off. So rabbinically they require Meshicha, and that's why the Mishnah says you acquire movables with Meshicha, even according to Rabbi Yechanan. Moving on to the next point, this idea of Kinyan Agav. Gemara wonders, do you need Siburin or do you not? The Gemara is bringing proofs back and forth. Let's see. So we know that you can acquire the land and then acquire movables as well. Agav, the land. The Shaila is, does it have to be on the property or does it have to be, could it even be not on the property? Now the source for Agav altogether is, it says, matanos. He gave them gifts, movables. When they acquired the property, they acquired the gifts. So says the Gemara, does it need to be tziburin on the land? Does it need to be piled on the land or not? So the Gemara brings a series of proofs. Proof number one, turning to Chafav Mudbeis. There's a Mishnah Meseches that says, Rabbi Akiva told, says the following, you can acquire Agav in a tiny piece of land. A tiny piece of land, and uh, it's talking about 
the, the implication is something of significance. So it's mashma that it does not have to be tzibur. And however, this raya is refuted because it could be we're talking about a needle with a pearl on it that can fit in a tiny piece of land, and maybe it is tzibur. And proof number two, Blazard recounts a story in a brisa with a madon man who, who bought a base sa'a, which is a coin-sized, we're assuming, in the hava amina, in order to transfer it and gift also sheep and barrels. So it's a hundred sheep and a hundred barrels. So it implies Natsibur, and if it's a coin-sized piece of land, which obviously you can't pile all that stuff on. The Gemara refutes this and says, really, it was a large area. It was called Besa because it was a rocky terrain. So maybe it was Tzibur. Proof number three, there's a Bryce that says a similar story. Rav Yehuda Marav says that a man bought a base rova, and that's a large area, and he used a tefach by a tefach of it to gift 100 sheep and barrels. Now the implication is you can't fit that in a tefach by tefach, so therefore, says the Gemara, it must be that the movables do not have to be tzibur, and they don't have to be piled onto the property. However, this rai is also refuted because it could be that it was the value of those items that was transferred over to the recipient, and that could be piled onto a very small area, the monies of it certainly, and therefore maybe really you do need tziburin. Gemara just explains the reason it didn't do chalipin or mashicha or transact through somebody else, bizachin, ladam shlabifanov kind of thing, is because the receiver wasn't there and there was a trust issue between the giver and those who he may have utilized to transact. Now turning to Chavzayin Amud Aleph now, we go to the fourth proof. There's a mission in Maisa Sheni. Rabbi Gamliel was going in a boat and he transacted the land under Maisras to transfer to Rabbi Yeshua for Maisa Rishon and Rabbi Akiva for Maisa Ani. Now it implies you need Sibur and that's why he gave them the property under it. Morris has refuted. That's just so that they don't be rushed. They you know they have the property whenever they want to get those maestras. And the fifth proof, the Gemara says, is Rav Bar Oven teaches a third type of law documents with with land purchases, which is when a seller pre-writes a transaction with signatures of the edim, that when the buyer does a chazaka on the property, he actually owns the document retroactively because he acquires the star wherever it is, keyword wherever it is, wherever it is, through the kinyan on the land, and this is clearly working through the kinyan of Agav, even though the shtar is not in the property. So you see, it does not require tziburin in order for the land kinyan to Agav, therefore acquire the movables, and therefore the Gemara proves this is a good source to show us Agav does not need to be tziburin necessarily. Okay, moving on now, the next section deals with the different laws, four specific laws relating to the mitzvah, the, the Kenyan of Agav. Number one, the Gemara tells us you, don't, you do need to say Agav, meaning you're acquiring the movables Agav, the field, by dint of the field. You also have to use the word Keni that you should acquire the metatalin. Number two, you can sell the field and give metatalin as a gift. Number three, you cannot necessarily give the field to one and metatalin to another. Number four, Rava says, who can only acquire through Agav the metalton that's covered by the money the buyer gave, meaning to say that if the buyer didn't give enough money to cover all the metalton, only some of them will transfer. Turning to Chavzayin Mutbez now, the Gemara brings a proof from a Bryce that illustrates the strength of each Kenyan type, which states that the strength of Chazaka is such that if a person is buying multiple fields and he's machzik in one of them, he can acquire all the fields even if they're in 10 different countries. But again, only if he gave money for all the fields. So as we said before, it's the same idea. If he only gave money for half of the metaltalin, even though he did a kinyan that should be an agav, it only will work to cover half the metaltalin. 
Gemara says this also supports the opinion of Shmuel, who says the same idea. Chazaka on one of the fields acquires ten, even if they're in ten different countries. Now there's two versions of a conversation of Ravacha if it's a proof to or against Shmuel from the case of ten horses that are acquired with one strap, meaning there's ten horses in a row, and there's a strap connecting them with the strap emerging from the front from the first horse. So the first version was that Ravacha Bridravika brought as a raya, just as over there, if you say acquire, you acquire all of them. Sirvach Abedravika said, same thing here, if you do chazaka on one field, you could acquire all of them. However, the Gemara refutes the Rai. And then the second way Sirvach Abedravika is quoted as is actually a kasha, is that if you would say zu, only this horse, you only acquire one, and therefore by chazaka it should be the same thing, only the one that you did chazaka, but this is also refuted, and it could be that there's a distinction between horses and fields. Moving on now to the next section, the Gemara tells us, source for Gilgal Shvua is highlighted regarding our Mishnah, that you can make a shvuah on movables and then also a shvuah on land, even though in general you cannot force a shvuah on land. So the Gemara says, we know that you can make Gilgal Shvuah for Isurim <coughs> based on the halacha of Sota. She's for, forced to swear she wasn't Mizana during the Erison period, even though she wouldn't be able to drink or be tested for what happened at that time because she's making a shvuah during the Nisuin period, which is something that she is able to be forced about. Turning to Chavches Amad Aleph now. Gemara tells us a Gilgul for claims of definite claims of money. That's a Kalvachimer from Saita, because in a certain way, monetary cases or definite monetary cases are stronger that you can cause the Shvu with the claim of one aid. So therefore, certainly there should be also the ability to create a Gilgul Shvu. Now, in cases of Suffolk claims, like the Gemara, like Rashi explains regarding to Shutfim uh, or Arisim, there's a Mamatzina from Sota that Suffolk is like Vade for Gilgal Shvua. So, also for Suffolk cases of Mammon, you can also force a Gilgal Shvua. Yomar continues and says Gilgal goes so far as to obligate a Shvua if someone's claimed as that he was sold, I claim somebody sold, was sold to me as an Evid Ivri. So, the, uh, that person who's being claimed towards would be forced to swear that he wasn't, assuming there was some other Shvua that was a legitimate Shvua. This is a Chiddush like Rav's opinion, who holds Gufay Kanoi, that it's similar to Karka. However, since those kinds of sales were generally done in public, and yet there's no publicity, you might think such a case where he claim, he's claimed to be an Avid Ivri, he wouldn't have to swear. Kamash Malan, you could still be Megalgal and Ashfua in this scenario. When we got to the next section, the Gemara tells us the Kenyan of Chalipin and three ways to explain the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Kol Hanishum Damim Ba'acher, anything that is utilized, we're going to go like the first shot in Rav Sheshis, but that is utilized in general acquisitions referring to money. When the seller accepts it, the buyer acquires the item via the chalipin that occurs. And then the Mishnah gives an example of a shor and chamor being swapped. Turning to Chavchesim Advez, the Gemara says that Rav Sheshis explains in the Hava Amina, Rav Sheshis holds you can do peros, you can do chalipin with peros, even if they're non-kalim. So he explains in the Hava Amina that there's two parts of the Mishnah, either money, which is the ratio of the Mishnah, or the seifa, peros, means non-kalim, can affect a chalipin when one party draws that towards him, the other party automatically acquires the other item. However, in the Maskana, the Gemara says, Rav Sheshis would explain that it's really only one case in the Mishnah. You can't do chalipin with money. Really, the Mishnah is talking about peros in its entirety, and nisha means items that need evaluation as opposed to money, meaning money is already evaluated. You know what it's worth. But kola nishim dam ba'achar means things that need to be evaluated before bartering, that can create a chalipin. Now, Rav Nachman argues on Rav He says, you cannot do chalipin with peros. So according to Rav Nachman, he has to explain the Mishnah as follows. It's a unique sort of 
usage of money in the context of like chalipin. If a buyer did mashicha on an animal to pay money, and then the seller agreed to cancel the payment and instead to receive another animal in exchange for the amount of money that the buyer originally owed him. So really it's a cancellation of a debt, which is like a Kenyan kesef. So in such a scenario, that will be effective. It's akin to chalipin, but really it's a Kenyan kesef. Nora explains this would be based on kesef being effective midai raisa, like Rabbi Yochanan said earlier. It's just a gezeira, as we said, that you need meshicha. However, they only made a gezeira in an common situation, a normal Kenyan Kesef. Here, it's the cancellation of a debt that's being utilized as a Kenyan Kesef, so therefore they were Somech on the Dairaisa, there's no Gzir Drabanan, you'd be allowed to make this Kenyan. However, the Gemara explains, according to Reish Lakish, that you need Meshicha Midairaisa, so you can only explain the Mishnah like Rav Sheshis above, not like the opinion of Rav Nachman. Moving on. The next point the Gemara tells us talks about acquisitions of Hektish versus Hedja, two rules and four more cases. The Mishnah says Hektish acquires with money and Hedja only acquires with a physical action. Number two, verbal pledges are effective for Hektish like a physical action for a Hedja, a normal person. The Gemara explains the first rule means if the Gizbar gives money to acquire an animal, it's effective, unlike an ordinary person who needs to do a physical action. Number two, if the Hedja pledges an animal as an Ola or to Hektish, it's effective, even though there was no physical action done yet, <clears throat> but it wouldn't be an effective transfer to an ordinary person. Turning to Chav Tess Amar Aleph now. If a hedjot, now four cases, if a hedjot did Meshicha and Hektish, it went up in value, but he hadn't yet paid money, he'd have to pay the higher value because money is what acquires Hektish based on the Pasuk of Anas and Akesif so he hasn't locked in the lower value yet. Now, if he did Meshicha and then it devalued, He'd also have to pay the higher value because we explain Hektish shouldn't be weaker than a Hedjot, meaning Hektish has the benefit of being acquired by money, but not the detriment that this would not have been acquired through Meshicha, and therefore this fellow would now have to pay the higher value at the time of, from the time of Meshicha. Now, if he already only had given money, but didn't do Meshicha and it devalued, it would still be effective and he'd pay the higher value, Vinasana Kesevikamlo. And number four, if he gave money and it increased in value, it would also be binding, meaning to say he would pay the lower value, like when he did Meshicha, or when he gave the money. And why is that? Because there is a Mishapar that exists with a Hedjot who gives money and then retracts. So for Hektish, we're not going to allow retraction either. Once you gave money, the cheaper value, that is what you're going to stick with having to pay. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara now tells us mitzvahs of a father and a son, positive and negative, and time-bound commandments. Zakta Hilga Mishnah, women are exempt in mitzvahs of Haben al Ha'av, and their Chayev in the reverse, Ha'av al-Aben, we'll explain those in the Gemara. There is a distinction between positive and negative commandments and time-bound for women, and we'll get into that really later on Daf Lamed Gimel, Lamed Dalet. The Gemara tells us the Reisha means that a father, meaning kol ha-mitzvahs Haben al Ha'av, it means that a father needs to do for to do these for his son. In those scenarios, these mitzvahs and mother is exempt. And what are they? So it's five plus one. Mila, Pidgin, Aben, teaching him Torah, getting him married, teaching a trade, and also to swim. We'll explain all the reasons for these later. Rabbi Huda says if you don't teach him a trade, it's like you're teaching him robbery. So let's go through them now. Let's discuss Mila and Pidgin, Aben, the next section. Mila, there are psukim that teach the father's not chay, the father's chay, the mother's not. And if the father doesn't do it, then Bezdin has to do Mila. And if Bezdin doesn't do it, then he has to do it himself. And this was a tzivah for Avram Avinu and future generations. Pidgin Aben. So can teach the father is responsible, not the mother. 
And if the father doesn't do it, then he's personally responsible to redeem himself. Turning to Chavtesim of Beis, there's a machlokis in a scenario where a person needs to redeem himself and his son. The Tanakhama says he should redeem himself. Rabbi Yudah says he should redeem his son. Rabbi Yirmi explains it's when he sold off a piece of property that was worth five dinar. So now there's five sell of Mishwa Badim, theoretically, that the Kohen can claim from. It's based on, and the Machlokis is based on, if we look at a loan that the Torah requires, is if it's written in a star. And the Machlokis is, do, according to Rabbi Yehuda, we do. And since we do, the Kohen will go claim the person's personal obligation from the Mishwa Badim, and then the father will pay his son's debt, his son's pidgin aben, from the money that he has been a chayrin. Um, according to According to uh, Tanakama, we don't say milva kasavatara is kiksuva bishtar. So all you have is your own, and therefore, since you only have to yourself is more important, so therefore you redeem yourself and not your son. There's an, also another debate in a scenario where he needs to redeem his son and be ola l'regel, to, to uh, ascend to Yerushalayim for Yantiv and by Korbanus there. So Tanakama says he should redeem his son, and Rabbi Yehuda says he should be ola l'regel. Tanakama is based on Psukim. And Rabbi says, mitzvah overes, it's going to be a, tie, a passing mitzvah, you should take care of it first. Gemara says that you need to redeem the firstborn to the mother, not to the father. So if you had five wives, based on the inclusion of kol, you have to redeem each of them. They're all considered firstborns, in terms of pidgin aben. Moving on to the next section, we said you have to teach your son Torah and also marry them off. So how do we know you should teach your son Torah? So Gemara brings psukim, that it's the father and not the mother. And then if the father doesn't teach you Torah, then you have to teach yourself Torah. Father also does not have to teach his daughter's Torah. There is a machlokis. If both father and son need to learn Torah, who takes precedence? The Tanakhama says he pays for himself to learn. Rabbi Yehuda says if the son is sharper, then the son should go and learn. It's illustrated by a story with Rabbi Yaakov and his father, Rachel Bar Yaakov, in the Yeshiva of Abaye, where Rabbi Yaakov originally went to learn. He came back, Rabbi Yaakov, Bar Yaakov saw that he wasn't sharp, he wasn't hopping the Gemara. So he said, you stay here and work and I'll go learn. And then there's a whole story where there was this uh, this, uh, this uh, seven-headed serpent, Mazik, that was hurting people and he davened and caused it to die. Fine. Now, in regards to marrying off, the Gemara tells us it depended on the locale if you should first get married and then learn. In Bavel, they first got married and then they would go to learn because since they would go to learn in Eretz Yisrael, there were no distractions of taking care of their house. And therefore, they could learn in peace and, and then have pas besalo, meaning be married and have the benefits that affords. But in Eretz Yisroel, first they would learn Torah and then get married because if they would first get married, since they were near their home, they would have those responsibilities that would detract them from learning. Rav Amuna wasn't married. Rav Huna didn't approve. And the Gemara tells us, till the age of 20, a person needs to marry. And uh, if a person reaches that age, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Tipach his bones should swell or explode. It's better, the Gemara says, to even get married at 16 and even 14. Turning to Laman and Aleph now, the ages of 16 to 22 or 18 to 24, Rashi learns is either the best time to marry off your kid or to give Musr. That's when they can accept it and they won't uh, negate it or push it off. Okay, now, the extent and degree of the mitzvah of teaching Torah and then some agadatas that are associated. The Gemara tells us, the next section, you only need to teach your son Chumash to fulfill the mitzvah of teaching your son Torah. There's a debate if a grandfather also has a mitzvah to teach his grandson Torah. However, the Gemara says if a grandfather does teach his grandson, it's like he received it from Sinai, it's a great deal. The Gemara tells us you should split the days of the week into three, so you learn Mikra, Mishnah, and Talmud, and that fulfills the concept of Vishinant and the extra nuns like Vishilashtan. Early scholars were called Sofrim because they could count the exact midpoints 
for the Torah's letters, words, and psukim, and the letters and psukim for Tehillim. It's unclear today if the midpoint is before or after those locations the Gemara points out, because we're not proficient in the lackings and additions of the psukim and the split of the verses. There are 5,888 psukim in the Torah. Add eight more for Tehillim and subtract eight for Divrei Ayam. Turning to Laman of Beis. The Gemara tells us the Torah should be sharp, and you shouldn't respond with mumbling, and your students should also be sharp. These are all derived from psukim. And the Gemara finishes this section by telling us initially, a father and his son, a Rebbe and his student, they fight like enemies, the Melcham Teshel Torah, when they're learning together. And then they become beloved friends, I have him, when everything is said and done in the end. Now the Gemara tells us in the next section, how do we deal with the Yetzir Hara? The Torah is called Samtem, which means a Samtam, a perfect elixir. It's like a bandage against the Yetzir Hara. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu even calls the Yetzir Hara bad. The Yetzir Hara is constantly renewing itself, its challenges that it causes us to face, wants to kill man, and without Hashem's help we couldn't survive it. And if it's Paga, if you bump into the Yetzir Hara, it wants you to do something, drag it to the base medrash, and you'll be able to overcome it. Okay, moving on now to the final requirements. Next section, the father has to his son. So he has a mitzvah to marry off his son because the Pasuk teaches us you should find wives for your sons. That's the Makar. It also says make your daughters desirable so men choose them. You should teach your son a trade. Either it's based on the comparison in the Pasukim to marrying off or teaching Torah. Teach your son to swim. That's life preservation. Now there's a Machlokas Tanakhama of Yehuda. If it's sufficient to teach your son merchandise trading, which the Tanakhama says is, according to Yehuda, it's not a profession, so it's a problem, because that could also lead to a life of listless when there's no merchandise to, to, to trade. Okay, moving on now. Mitzvah's ha'av al-habden, the Mishnah said in the second part of the Mishnah, the contrast to the previous part, men and women are both chayavim. So it explains the Gemara, this refers to the mitzvah of kibbut and moira, honor and awe of parents, both sons and daughters are chayav in that. Women are not always able to, which is why it says ish when she's married because she has the responsibility to tend to her husband, but they would be equally responsible if a woman got divorced because then her and her brother have equal responsibility in Kibbut and Moira. The Gemara says that there is a comparison between Hashem and parents in three areas, Kibbut, Moira, and the Isra of cursing, but not hitting because you can't hit Hashem. This is based on the principle there are three partners in man, and when you honor your parents, Hashem says, it's as if I lived amongst you and you honored me. Turn to Lamed Aleph Aleph. Hashem put father first for Kibbut and the mother first for Moira because the natural dispensation would be to treat the other party more significantly in those ways. So Hashem's saying they have to be balanced. However, in contrast to what we said above, if a person pains his parents, Hashem says, it's better I did not live amongst you because then you would have pained me. Moving on to the next section now. The Gemara tells us that Gadot is about honoring Hashem and parents. It's enough, if a person does an Aveira in private or he walks four Amos with Koma Zekufa, an erect posture, a way of haughtiness, or without a head covering, he's pushing away the Shechina. A child and mother serve the father, and therefore in a scenario where the father and mother ask for something, the child should serve the father. But after divorce, he could call to them like a rooster if they both want something and have them figure it out. Now when Hashem commanded the mitzvah of kiwud av va'em, the Goyim understood that the first two of Anochi and lo yelecha lo were not for his own glory. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara tells us stories about people honoring their parents. So the first is the Goy, Dom Menesino, lived in Ashkelon. The rabbis came to purchase some merchandise. According to one version, it was the Avni Ephod. And he didn't wake up his father, despite the fact that they were offering 600,000 uh, coins, gold coins, or 800,000, because the key was under his father's head, and he got a paraduma, and he accepted the money. 
that he would have earned prior. The Gemara says, if he was in a mitzvah, I said, not commanded in Kibudav, and he got such a reward. Allah has come if it comes, that's commanded in the mitzvah is going to get such a great reward. Another time, the Gemara tells us, the mother of Dom Venasina denigrated him in public, and he didn't react negatively. Turn to Lamed Aleph and Rebez now. Avime Braid Rabbi Avo taught that you could feed your father fatty birds, meaning expensive food, but it's done in a negative way that makes him feel bad, and then he'll be removed from the world. Or you can make your father work, which the Rashi explains from the Yerushalmi, refers to a story where there was a draft order, the son took it and put his father to work instead. That was really out of great care for his father, and that brought a person to Alam Haba. Mara tells us Avimai took care of his father, despite having five capable sons, because he wanted to do the mitzvah of Kibbut Now, if a father's a ben Torah, the Gemara says you shouldn't accept the drink from him because it'll cause him to feel bad, only from the mother. Rabbi Tarfan assisted his mother in and out of bed. However, the Chacham told him, you haven't even done half of the mitzvah because she didn't throw your wallet in the ocean and then you didn't react. Now, Rav Yosef <coughs> stood when he heard his mother like he was here, like he was approaching, that the Shekhinah was approaching. And Rav Yochan and Abai, both of their parents died. Rav Yochanan said, I'm fortunate because I don't have parents because it's difficult to fulfill that mitzvah properly. Ravasi, his mother was unhinged, so he went to Eretz Yisrael to escape. Rav Yochanan was the Rebbe there, so he went to ask when he heard that she was coming. Asked Rav Yochanan, could I go greet her? Eventually, he was considering greeting her. He realized he, she, she had already died, and she was approaching in a coffin. So he says, I shouldn't have left Eretz Yisrael, because now already I don't need to. Moving on to the next section. Mara tells us the halachas of the extent of honoring parents. So it says you honor them in their life, which is that when you say things in the name of your father in a place that people honor him, say in the name of your father, so they'll give him kavod. In death, it means if within the 12 months the father passed away, you should say, Mari hareni kaparas mishkavo. I should be an atonement for his d- death. And after 12 months, you should say, olam haba, meaning that he merits the next world. A rabbi says to the Maturgaman when he quotes his father, Avi Mori, but not the father's name, and the Maturgaman broadcasts it with the proper name, meaning he'll say the name of the rabbi says X, Y, and Z. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara tells us now, Mora versus Kava with his examples. So Mora is don't stand and sit in his place, contradict him, etc. Kavod is given to eat and drink, more of the positive and not just the don't do's. Turning to Lamed Beis and Aleph now, there's a machlokis if Kibbut Avaim is meant to be paid from the son or the father. The Gemara Paskins, it's to be paid for from the father. The Gemara brings three attempted proofs and resolves or refutes them. Gemara says that Ravuna tested Rabbah's son to see if he was an angry person by tearing up silk, and uh, he wanted to know if he would get upset because potentially this is something that he would inherit. Gemara tells us when you correct your father, even if he does something that's wrong, actually, you should say, this is what it says in the Torah, and let him deduce on his own that what he did was the wrong thing, but not say it outright. That would be disrespectful. And this is highlighted by how Rav Yehuda responded to his father, Yecheskel, which Shmuel seemed to say was a bit inappropriate. The Gemara tells us if the mitzvah of Kibbut Av approaches, meaning his father asks for a cup of water, <coughs> and there's another mitzvah to perform, if someone else can do the other mitzvah, do, do Kibbut Av aim. Otherwise, that's a mitzvah that both you and your father are responsible to do, so you do the other mitzvah. Moving on to the next section, let's talk about mechila of kavod for four people. And there's different opinions. One, the first opinion says a father can be mochel on his kavod, not a rebbe. And some argue and say a rebbe could also be mochel on his kavod. Turning to Lamed Beis Mabez now, the Torah is the rebbe's to be mochel on because it says uvesayra so yege yaman balayla. Also, a nasi can be moichel, but a king cannot because the pasuk says som tasim alecha melech. There has to be an awe that the people have of the king. Final section now on Lamed Beis Mabez. 
standing up for and honoring elders. So the Brisa tells us that when it comes to the Tanakhama says, you should stand up if someone's old and a Chacham, both qualifications. Yosek Lili says, even if it's only a Chacham and he's young, you should also stand up. Now the Brisa continues and says, stand when he's nearby within four Amos. There shouldn't be any necessity to lose money in terms of giving honor to this Zakin. You don't honor the Zakin by standing up in the bathroom of the bathhouse because that's not kavod. And you can't pretend to not see him because Hashem knows the true score. And we'll discuss that really next week from Lamed Gimel and on. Uh, Isi ben Yehuda, this is the last shita in the Brisa, he argues with the first two Tanakhama Yisaglili. He says, even for Zakin Ashmai, you have to honor them. And we'll see actually, that's going to be the Pesach we'll see later in the Gemara. Now, the Gemara clarifies that the, the debate between Tanakam and Rebbe is based on the readings of the Psukim that talks about standing up and honoring Zikanim. That Tanakam holds that it's if, uh, if, a, if the person is old and a Chacham. Rebbe says even if he's only a Chacham and young, you still have to stand up for him. We're stopping uh, here. The um, Top of Lamed Gimel Lamed Aleph. Be'ezus Hashem will pick up next week with the, with the weekly review. Everyone have a wonderful day.